0: Hi, everybody. My name is Angie, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Angie. I had, uh, uh, when I first got sober, I had this huge fear of speaking in front of a lot of white people. And, uh, and uh, thanks to you, Fort Wayne, the fears all come back now. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Something to write about this evening, like I need to write another inventory. but um, my name is Angie. I'm, I'm an alcoholic, and, and I'll tell you, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love everything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the buck stops here for Angie P. I don't have anywhere else to go. It stops right here. I'm from Greenville, South Carolina, and back home, we lived on a red clay road in a little white house, and we had a steel tub, and got our water out of wells, and we had an outhouse, which my brother constantly introduced me to, and uh, and I had flaming red hair and freckles, and nobody else did in my family. Who knew? And uh, and 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 I'll tell you, the amazing thing is that um, we picked black raspberries for fun. I didn't wear shoes till I was like 11, and uh, just as country as we could be, and. Uh, Life was simple. It was really simple. Um, I'm from a family of Baptist ministers, and so it was about church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, uh, and two times on Wednesday and bring a lunch on Sunday. And uh, and so I just, you know, was just a little, just a little country town. And uh, my brother, he... Uh, you know, you gotta love your brother My brother explained to me Why I had red hair and freckles And nobody else did And he said that's, that's because the mailman was my daddy So whenever I would see the mailman I'd be like, Daddy! Daddy! <laughs> And I would run up to him and give him a hug and tell him how much I love, you know, my daddy, how much I loved him. And he would pat me on the head and, and tell me how cute I was. And I loved the 12 Steps and, and, and working with people and, and working with a sponsor. Because what happened was that turned out to be a pattern for me, that if you just pat me on my head and tell me how cute I am. And we were, we were basically married from that point on. <laughs> you know, and it was a forever deal as far as I was concerned. You know, it's like, what's your last name again? Um, and um, so we stayed down there for a little while, and my father ended up getting transferred to Cincinnati, Ohio, and we moved up there. And um, uh, in the process of traveling back and forth, my daddy got him a little girlfriend, so he moved up the hill, and then he moved us here and my mother uh, into uh, what they called the projects. Um, and I'll tell you, when I first got sober, my mother was my biggest resentment. I truly felt that if she would just treated me the way she did my brother and sister, that I would not be in this predicament called alcoholism. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm not somebody that came into AA who was happy about being here, you know. When I sat in a meeting and some guys, I'm Bob and I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. And I used to say, man, what's wrong with you? I mean, you know, really? Have you been in here too long? Or what is the problem? And so, I, you know, I was not somebody who was happy to to be here. But we moved up to this little town and I was my mother was my biggest resentment. And I'll tell you, My mother um, worked as a waitress and she sent all of us to private schools. And I can tell you, I don't know that that would be possible for me today, but my mother worked very, very hard. And that's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous, that when you work the steps and you work with a sponsor and you do the deal, your perception changes. It really changes and it did about my mother and it continues to. Um, as I continue on this journey, but um, so I'm going to this Catholic school. So now I'm a, you know, little redheaded girl with, a, you know, huge afro, a white blouse, a plaid skirt, and black and white spaldins, and uh, and I got beat up on a regular basis. Um, and so, you know, there was this girl, you know, this girl named Squeaky, and her little posse. Squeaky was like six ten, like in the fifth grade, and and so she had this little posse that hung out with her. And one day they stoned me on the way home from school, and I ran in the house and I told my mother I was like, whew. I'm glad I made it in here, because Squeaky and them stoned me. Oh, I'm so glad to be in the house. And my mother goes, whenever I heard this, I knew it was not going to be good. She goes, you know, Angela, the day's going to come when you have to take care of yourself. And I I want you to go back out there and stand up to Squeaky. I said, out there? And she said, oh, you can stay in here and get the butt whooping that I could. And I knew what my mother's butt whoopings felt like, and I only knew what Squeaky's appeared to be. And so so I went out to... um, squeaky in the parking lot where we had most of our duels and uh, walked up to her and I said, my mother said I'm supposed to fight you. And she said, well, come on then. And I balled my fist up and I closed my eyes as tight as I could and I reached up to what seemed the Empire State Building and I hit her. I got her right here. Oh, man. Whoa. She did not budge. (laughs) Do you understand me? She did not budge. And I said, you came ready to kill me, ain't you? And, and so she did give me the big beat down. But one of the things about alcoholism is that it has the tendency to have you remember what you should forget and forget what you should remember. And I forgot that um, she almost you know, killed me, but I started my boxing career. From that day forward all the way up into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and the fight that I had in AA, I didn't even win. And, and so I just realized I just can't fight, basically. So, uh, uh, so where my mother comes and gets me one day. And she takes me up to this neighborhood. She comes and gets me from school. And uh, she takes me up to this neighborhood. And, and it was uh, called Springdale back in Ohio, uh, Cincinnati. And, and uh, uh, she said, Angie, this is our new home and uh, it was in an all-white neighborhood. We were the first African-American family to move into this neighborhood. So from the age of 13 until 18, I wasn't even um, uh, black. I um, listened to the likes of uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. (laughs) First concert I ever went to was Led Zeppelin. And uh, one time I was at uh, the Ted Nugent Foreigner concert. Foreigner was singing Feels Like the First Time. And, and I remember I looked around that coliseum. I didn't see one black person. And I remember thinking, man, I am bad! <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. And so, you know, that was, that was the deal with, uh, with the, so I, you know, hung out with these girls, uh, uh, these five white girls, and, and oh my God, they could drink at home. Their parents told them, if you're gonna drink, we'd rather you drink at home. And that way we'll know. I thought that was the closest family I'd ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? I could not believe that they were allowed to, to drink at home, and, and they smoked marijuana. And I thought, I remember going home to my mother going, why don't you, do you want to drink? You know what I mean? She didn't drink, and she didn't do anything. So I hung around with these girls, and and my friend Rebecca uh, one night um, came over to my house, and she uh, had a brown bag, and she gave me a bottle, and she had one, and uh she gave me a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. Yeah, yeah you guys are alcoholic, aren't you? There's no, no doubt about that one. Good. Yeah, Everybody in Fort Wayne's going, oh, yeah, Boone's Farm. Um, and so I took a drink of, of, of uh, she said that her brothers had uh, schooled her in the art of chugging, and uh, she uh, explained to me what to do, and, and it came so naturally. Um, And I turned that bottle up, and I chugged, and I'll tell you what, what happened for me, I'm almost positive, did not happen for Rebecca. Because something started from the bottom of my feet that moved to the top of my head that I have based relationships on. (laughs) If you can make me feel like this, you are good to go, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And so therefore, (laughs) And I, and I traveled this journey for many, many years into sobriety. If you can top this, when I look at you across a room, if I begin to tingle from the bottom of my feet slowly to the top of my head, we're married. <laughs> Justice of the peace right then and there. Um, and so where was I? Where was I at? Ah. Boone's Farm. So, somebody's listening. So she, and that night I practiced my boxing career. She beat me up that evening. And, uh, and, and that started my, my uh, journey into uh, alcoholism. And I drank. I'll tell you what, um, I didn't know prior to getting to AA that people did not drink. I thought that everybody drank basically the way that I did, and, and I was, you know, this girl who was drinking and, and just, you know, stopped listening to my parents, and just the whole shebang, I stopped um, doing it. And I don't mean any disrespect to anybody in Alcoholics Anonymous, but there's a couple of little drugs in my lead, and, um, and me personally, I know that I'm an alcoholic, and there's no question about that in my mind. I just happened to be an alcoholic who happened to do a few drugs along the way. And I had tried marijuana, and I didn't like it because it seemed like whenever I smoked it, I would eat everything in the freezer that nobody else had touched in years. And, you know, and then try to justify how good it is to... uh, two people sitting around me. And uh, and so I didn't think that was good. I was like, you know, smoke marijuana food poisoning. I don't think so. So, I just, you know, couldn't couldn't really get with that. And I did some acid and and it got me a mental health diagnosis. So, I figured I you know, had to leave that alone. But but I had um um did some strawberry mess one night um with these same girls that I hung out with for years. Um and um and I took the strawberry mess and um and I began to drive and and, and two in the back seat decided that they wanted to stop at McDonald's, and right when we pulled into McDonald's, I can tell you that the masculine began to take effect. And so um, as I pulled up to the little box, um, that had somebody yelling at me out of it. Um, oh, what do you want? You, want, you want, what do you want? You know? It was just, oh, I was terrified, and I just looked at the little box. I didn't, you know, I didn't know, I'm steady you know, tripping and trying to figure out how that little person got in there. And I, <laughs> And so it was just frightening for me, frightening for me. Um, And so I took, you know, they yelled back at the little person in the box, and then they told me to move forward to the second window, if you will. And uh, when I got to the second window, then somebody, you know, starts pushing bags at me, so I pushed the bags back in, you know what I mean? You know, what what is that about? And um, uh, so they're giving them to me, you know, you want ice, you want a straw, you want ketchup, you want salt, you know what I mean? I was to stop at McDonald's, and right when we pulled into McDonald's, I can tell you that the mess wouldn't move. And so they called the cops and traffic was backed up. And so the police officer came and, and uh, was talking to me, asked me what my name, I told him it was R2-D2. And he, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he wasn't happy about that. And, and you know, whatever, you know, I think they called it like falsifying my name or whatever. And um, charged me, thank you very much. Um, and and, and uh, he looked in my car and he said, ma'am, in America, when we want our cars to go, we put him in drive. and He goes pull over, and so you know I went over there, and he's talking to me really slow because I'm on strawberry mask, and he's going, "Do you have any ID?" And I was like, "Officer, just arrest me, dude, cause you know you just don't talk. Put the cuffs on me and let's roll. You know what I mean? Um, because something's gonna happen if you keep talking to me. And so you know I had to kind of let the you know the acid thing go, and uh, and. Um, and, and I'll tell you, um, I've been singing since I was three, and um, my dad had got me a job at a recording studio, and um, one, I don't know if there's any other singers in here, but you know, you, when you're growing up, you really do wait for that moment when, you know, some tall, handsome guy says, I heard you sing, and oh, I cannot believe that nobody has signed you yet, and uh, and that, that happened for me. Um, I was singing in the bathroom, and you know how the acoustics are. (laughs) You know, and I was singing a a really touching love song and, you know, a pretty picture because I'm on the toilet. You know what I mean? And and so I come out, and he goes, wow, I can make you famous. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, I know people. And I was like, really? he goes, but you'll have to come to Las Vegas. No problem. You ready to go? So now I didn't have, he could have had 10 bodies in his trunk, you know what I mean? Been a serial killer, but all I wanted to know was that I'd be able to get on stage and look good for the people. And so I left with this man against my family's wishes and I went out to Las Vegas. And I need to tell you that at the age of 18, I was a young girl in Las Vegas making a lot of money and singing, opening up for some of the biggest stars and having the time of my life. But something amazing was happening along the way. When I got to Las Vegas, um, my drinking really began to escalate to the point of um, blackouts. Now, I need to tell you that I had never heard of blackout until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought that if you didn't remember what you did, that you had one heck of a time. (laughs) I didn't know that there was like this thing called blackout. And, And, you know, so I'm out in Las Vegas, and I'm gambling, and I'm drinking, and you know, waking up with, well, you guys probably don't know anything about that, but just waking up with, <laughs> waking up with people and, you know, you both wake up and go, damn! You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and he's got one tooth and it's gold, you know what I mean? And, oh, it's insanity, absolute insanity, you know what I mean? And I'm just laying there going, but just tell me I didn't sleep with you, please. <laughs> like, but you told me you love me. It's like, yeah, right, okay, and, and his name was Zeb, and, and you know, and 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 I told him, I could not take him back to Cincinnati with me, that my parents truly would not understand this situation. Um, And so, you know, I'm out there and I'm drinking and I'm just, now I'm starting to lose jobs and and I can't sing anymore on stage. And and it wasn't until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous that I heard um, the first drink was the problem. See, because what I always heard was that, you know, maybe you should just stop drinking after a couple. Maybe if you... Um, drink beer and then smoke marijuana, you won't be as drunk. Maybe if you smoke marijuana first, then drink beer. Drink wine. Just a couple. That's the first time I'd ever heard NAA, the first drink was the one that got me in trouble. And so I'm out there and um, I ended up, me and this gentleman, He, um, I ended up losing jobs and um, he wasn't working because he was living off of my income as a singer. And um, I think today they call that pimping, and, <laughs> um, and so that's what he did for quite some time out there, and um, he began to um, be, be really abusive, and he introduced me to a drug called heroin, and um, I began using heroin intravenously and drinking on a regular basis, and you guys, it was, it was really, really crazy. Um, as, as, as I speak right now, he's still in prison. And here I am at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know why God works the way that he does. And I don't really too much question it. All I know is, is that without a shadow of a doubt, a power greater than has been looking and watching over me. Thank you. Because had it not been for that, I would not be here and be your speaker today. And uh, he went in the store one night. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I couldn't stay sober the first time I came into AA was because I never really wanted to share uh, certain things with you. Um, but while we were out in Las Vegas, um, the reason why he's in prison is because he had came to pick me up and he told me that he was going into a store. And when he went into the store, he shot the owner and he robbed the place and the owner died. And it seemed like from, and, and see, you know, the, the interesting thing about alcoholism is that you couldn't tell me that when I took that first drink of Boone's Farm apple wine at the age of 13, that I would ever, ever be on trial for murder you just couldn't tell me that it, it it's it's like you know how it talks about it in the book it's like alcohol became my master from the moment that i picked up alcohol i never ever after that had a shot or a call on my life alcohol was what i did drinking was what i did it's all i did and so when 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 we were on trial um what and i it, i'll tell you well i'll get there um When I was on trial, one of the most difficult things was listening to this gentleman's family one by one as they got up to the stand and they talked about what kind of man he was. I personally um, couldn't stay sober because of that. And thank God for sponsorship. I am a believer in sponsorship because that was when I did my fourth step and I shared that with my sponsor. That was the first sign of forgiveness that I've seen from anybody and she was the one that made it very clear to me, had you not have been drinking, do you really think that that would have happened? I don't struggle with the powerfulness of alcoholism. I understand that it's dictated and managed my life for a long time. I ended up getting acquitted. What I got was a floater out of the state of Nevada for the governor and if you don't know what that is, that means that it's a piece of paper that says you can never, ever, 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 ever come to Nevada again. And I was pretty okay with that, actually. (laughs) So, you know, I got the first plane out of Vegas and headed back to Cincinnati. And I'll tell you, man, I'm fascinated by alcoholism because when I got to Cincinnati, the first thing I said was, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But see, I didn't know that untreated, I could not not drink. I always said I wasn't going to, but I didn't know that I could not drink. And that lasted all of two weeks in Cincinnati, and I began drinking again. And a long time ago, um, you could ride on the um, city bus on Sundays. It was called Sunday Pass Riding. And, and uh, one Sunday, my sister and brother and myself were riding around the city, and we got, went every place, and we went downtown. And right at this corner, it was the corner of Liberty and Vine and there was this White Castle restaurant there, and man, when I looked over there, there was pimps and prostitutes, and you know, they were listening to Shaft on their little eight tracks, and and I remember my little sister looked over there, and she said, boy, you couldn't pay me to go over there. And I remember my brother going, shoo, me neither. And I remember me sitting there thinking, I'm going over there tomorrow, you know what I mean? I got this thing. I really do. I have this thing where excitement is it. You know, you can beat each other up, shoot and kill, just don't do it to me. But you know what I mean? And, and so I started hanging out on the streets of downtown Cincinnati. And I began to go home, ride the bus, go back downtown, drink with my buddies, go down there. go And one day, the day came when I couldn't leave. When I had to stay down there. And I, um, was at a place in my alcoholism where I couldn't bring, and I don't know if you guys know anything about this or can relate to this, but I couldn't bring to the forefront of my mind how to get out from downtown Cincinnati. I wanted to desperately, but I couldn't figure out how to get out from down there. When somebody had said this, one of my students said to me, you make me feel like I'm stuck on stupid. And when he said that, I knew what that meant. I said, give me a hug. (laughs) God love you. Stuck on stupid. That's where I was, downtown Cincinnati. So I'm hanging out, I'm drinking, and the blackouts are coming. Boom. See, I don't know about you guys, but I'm the kind of drunk that I would get arrested, and I would never know what I did until I came to the next morning. And the public defender came and told me. And so I went back and forth to jail. One day, I got sentenced receiving stolen property, I don't know how, receiving stolen property, I get a sentence to the penitentiary, and I get in the city jail, they give me a physical and I find out I'm pregnant. So I'm on my way to the penitentiary with a seven to 25 with a child growing on the inside of me. And I can tell you right now without a shadow of a doubt that the reason why I didn't lose my mind in prison was because I had my baby. And I would rub my stomach on a regular basis, and I would tell my child, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to do what I got to do, and when I get out of here, I'm going to be a mother. And I meant that from the bottom of my heart. When I got out of prison, my son was four years old. I got on that bus down 71, and all I could think about was my child. All I could think about was getting home and just being a mother to him. It talks about it and more about alcoholism, where a gentleman went to see a prospect about a a business he once owned, and, and it says suddenly the thought crossed his mind where he thought he could mix some whiskey with his milk. I'm on the bus, and I get to the Greyhound bus station downtown Cincinnati. Suddenly the thought, suddenly, came to me. Well, you know you ain't had a drink in years. Surely you can have just one. And I left that bus station with the intentions of having just one, and the next time I saw my child, he was 10. You see, I... I meant to do the right thing. I meant to do the right thing. I meant to get there. But see, the easiest thing for me to do was just not to call my family. And that's what I did, I stayed down on the streets of Cincinnati drinking, going back and forth to prison. Come out long enough to drink, go back to prison. Come out and drink, go back to prison. And I'll tell you what, by the time I stopped drinking, if you would have told me at the age of 13 when I took that first drink that I would be sleeping on park benches, that everybody who I knew and loved would no longer talk to me, you couldn't have made me believe it. But that's what ended up happening, is I hung out downtown. What I was was a five-time loser. I had been to the penitentiary five times. And that last time I got out, I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to go back, but I never ever see. Whenever I went to jail, it was never about the drinking. It was the the police were always messing with me. I mean, I know you guys don't have that excuse, but. (laughs) The, the police, I don't know, and it was, you know, just the police always messed with me, and one day I was downtown, and um, I'm over at this shooting gallery, and I'm in there drinking, and um, somebody shoots ice water into my veins intravenously, and, uh, and it was the closest thing to death, I think, that I would ever, ever uh, feel, and uh, I walked 17 blocks to the boarding um, home that I was living in, and it was on the river of Cincinnati, and uh When I got down there, see, I don't know about you, but I'm a believer in angels. I really, truly am. Because when I got down there to that building, there was this little blonde woman who looked at me, and I was deathly ill, and she looked at me, and she said, you don't have to keep living like that. And she went up to my room with me, and she put a rag on my head, and she began to tell me about her drinking. And she began to tell me about a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, and she asked me if I would go somewhere with her. And I said, sure because that day I would've done anything that would change the way that I felt. So she took me to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and it was at a clubhouse. And uh, when we pulled up, there was about 200 Harleys parked outside and a whole bunch of white people and all of them had white cups. And I was like, this is gonna be some party right here. And um, we're walking up the sidewalk and people are saying, welcome to AA. Welcome to AA, my name is so-and-so, welcome to AA. As I took this this walk and then I get to the top of the steps getting ready to get into the building and this huge white guy gets up and grabs me and hugs me and goes, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Squirrel, (laughs) big guy. And I said to him, man, if you don't put me down and why they name your big butt Squirrel anyway? And so we go into the room, and, and the woman said that this gentleman was going to tell his story. And, uh, and I listened to this guy tell his story, and, and I was appalled. I was appalled at what he was telling you guys. Oh, buddy, you know, don't you have a helpline or something? You know what I mean? Why are you putting your business all out on Front Street? I told him after the meeting, I said, you know they laughing at you, man. All them people sat in line. He goes, oh, you just keep coming back. I said, oh, no, you keep coming back. (laughs) I just heard your story. Now, I stayed around around Alcoholics Anonymous for a little while, never really quite feeling like I was like you guys. You know, I had an alcohol issue. I had an alcohol problem. But the A word, alcoholic? Oh, no, I could never say that. I would assume that I had dippy doodle but not alcohol, you know, and I made up things as I sat in meetings just, you know, because I wasn't going to say alcoholic, and so I was chemically challenged. I was, you know, many, many things until this old-timer pulled me to the side, and he goes, you know what? If you're not alcoholic, you're going to have to go somewhere. And I said, oh, how long have you been sober? 28 years. Oh, man, that's... That's crazy, man. <laughs> Basically, you should get a drink just for being sober. 20s. you know what I mean? It's a reason to celebrate. Um, and so I, you know, um, I started coming around AA, and you know, I was a very militant uh, woman. Everything was because I was black. Um, you know, if, if, if there was a woman that, uh, there was a woman giving a lead one night, and I'm sitting at the meeting, and, and she's going, "You know, when I first got sober, I didn't like black people. But thanks to God and AA and the steps and my sponsor, I do now. (laughs) And I was the one that stood up and goes, well, we ain't going nowhere. Power to the people. Yeah, I'm going to keep coming back. Soul power. And my sponsor would go, would you sit down? You're embarrassing me. So, you know, I got to keep it real, though, you know with all the cotton-picking I did and everything. <laughs> so, you know, I had to keep this thing real with my sponsor. I remember when my sponsor, you know, I asked her to be my sponsor, I told her that we needed to sit down and talk, you know, civil rights and all. And uh, and, and if you're new in the room, this is how they get you. She said, so are you saying to me that, my, she's from England, she says, are you saying to me that um, because you're black and I'm white that?" I can't sponsor you. I said, no, what I'm saying is is that it's going to be some differences. That's all. You know, like, you know, I don't want you talking to me all crazy. You know what I mean? You know, bring up all that anger I got from my ancestors and stuff. And, uh, you know, I just want to make things clear. And she goes, well, let me tell you this. Do you have on cotton underwear right now? (laughs) And I said, no. And she goes, exactly. And she goes, I want you to look in the book. And this is how they get you newcomers. She said, I want you to look in the book and read it. And when you get to a place where it tells me that because I'm black, because you're black and I'm white, that I can't sponsor you, bring that to me. And you know what, newcomers? I searched. Oh! Oh, newcomers, I searched High and low. Right in the book. Surely, somewhere has got to have something. There was a story in the back of the book said an African-American woman went to a conference. Oh, I said, here we go, right here. I done found it, I get to graduate, graduate. And, um, and um, it said that this woman went to a convention of Alcoholics Anonymous, and nobody treated her any differently. And so then I had a resentment. You know what I mean? Because she knew that it was all the way in the back of the book. You understand what I'm saying? But see, what she had found, my sponsor, was a way to get me to read the book. Because I searched, baby. Reading glasses, coffee, you know, just searching. Because I knew when I found it, I was probably out of here. But I didn't find it. And I still have the same sponsor today. And I'll tell you what, I say, well, thank you very much. I'm sure that she'll be really pleased to know that you applauded her. But, um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm in AA, and I'm not really, you know, into AA, but I'm there, and it's not like I had a huge social schedule. So I start hanging out in AA and reading the book, and, and you know, I re- knew the book really well. Um, but about this time, and I don't mean any disrespect, but about this time, they started coming into AA with this little crack problem. I said, we don't know nothing about crack here. And they're coming in. And all of them weigh the same thing. Every, I said, do you guys get down to 80 pounds and then say, let's go get sober? <laughs> because they begin to come in with this problem. And I became the ad, oh, the advocate for Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to the door at the clubhouse and knock on the office and go, you know them crackheads trying to take over AA. said <laughs> so they're trying to take it over, but we can't, have, we can't let it happen. We got to, you know what I mean? So they started coming in and and most of them were black that came in and so I automatically told them that I was their sponsor and and that what they would need to do is go over here and sit at the table. Don't say anything to anybody, just sit. Maybe they'll come up with a -a Crackaholics Anonymous. We don't know. (laughs) But for the meantime, just sit there and hang in. you know what I mean? Just hang in there and close your eyes. why are your eyes so big? You know what I mean <laughs> Shh, calm down, it's okay. We're going to let you stay here. don't worry about it, you know what I mean? Just chill, everything is going to be all right. And, and so I'd go over and you know one of them would have to go to the bathroom and I'd say, "Come on, follow me, and uh, you know it was the men's bathroom so you know I couldn't go in, but I stood outside the door and told him he was going to drink if you know he didn't hurry up and walk him back to the table, and that was my crew um. Who was not allowed to talk to anybody but me? I would read the, the book to them at the top of my lungs and um, and they were all scared. they were just like this. <laughs> they were scared, they didn't say anything and, uh, and and I'm telling you that to tell you this that you know I became the advocate for AA and I you know went around to everybody and said, "We cannot let these people in. We cannot do this. We have to defi- we have to keep AA together. We can't let it divide. Defi- we can't do this. And one day not a cloud on the horizon, I decided in a matter of 15 minutes that I didn't need to be in AA anymore. See, it wasn't about drinking. It was just that I just, you know, and this is the tricky part of alcoholism. That See, you guys had been talking about God using you as an instrument, and I said, you know what? I think God might be using me as an instrument, too, to go find some black people and bring them into AA. So I figured since I've been coming around for a while that surely you would want to know, you know, that I was leaving. And I went to the Wednesday night 8:30 meeting and asked if there was any AA announcements. I said, <laughs> I said, uh, look here. Uh, I'm about to, I'm gonna roll on up out of here, and, and I appreciate the really, 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 really big book and all the coffee. And and I hope that you guys understand it at some point point in your journey that drinking is bad for you. And I, then this old timer, you know, boy I tell you old timers, stood up and goes, well get out of here. There's people trying to stay sober in here. And we'll see you if you make it back. And I was like, wow. Old timer. So I got my book and I put it under my arm and I walked out of AA. But I walked out with such pride. Because I knew that what I was about to be was an evangelist for Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) And anybody, any African American that looked like they had been drinking, I was going to carry the message no matter where they were. So I got on the city bus. (laughs) And I had my book and I was prepared. And, you know, a brother got on and he was staggering a little bit. So I slid over next to him. I said, look here, uh, brother, you been drinking? He said, yeah, I had a little something, something. I said, man, you might be an alcoholic. <laughs> and, and, and so he started going off on the bus, and you know, he ain't no alcoholic. And I said, you know, the people at the double A club told me that you would probably react to my information. Like, so what I'll do is I'll just read chapter five to you. <laughs> and you know, the bus is moving, so I don't see a way for you to get out. And so I started reading at the top of my lungs. Rarely. Did you hear what I said? I said, rarely. (laughs) Have we seen a person fail? Did you hear what I said? I said, fail. And those who did completely, you know, thoroughly. You know, and so the bus driver was like, oh, hell no. So he pulled over (laughs) it. He pulled over and he said, you got to get off of here. And, and you know, and I told him he was an alcoholic too. And you know, and I kind of took my big book because I had information to carry to the people. So I just walked down the street after he pushed put me off the bus and went to the bar that I drank at, where I knew it was many, many of my brothers and sisters suffering with alcoholism. And I walked into the bar and they were dancing to the juke, you know, acting like they were having a good time. And, And I went on in and pulled the plug out of the jukebox. And I said, black alcoholics, (laughs) they got a place for you. It's called the double A club. You don't have to drink anymore. Let me show you. Rarely. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? I said rarely. And the, uh, you know, bar owner said, oh, hell no. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I was sitting there, and, and it goes back to more about alcoholism, where suddenly the thought crossed my mind. I wasn't thinking about drinking. I was thinking about saving people. But when I got in that bar with my big book, suddenly the thought crossed my mind that surely one drink won't hurt. And I took that drink, and 45 minutes later, I was in a crack house. I ain't thought about smoking crack well. There's something wrong with those people. But what I've learned in my journey, ladies and gentlemen, is that anytime I stand in judgment of any person, place, thing, or situation, nine times out of 10, I just wrote my ticket to experience it. And so when I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous, June the 20th, 1991, I was part of the 80-pound club. (laughs) My eyes were sticking out to here. And, uh, you know, um, it, was, it was sad. It was a sad thing. And um, uh, I came back. That same old-timer that was at that meeting that night, you know, I was skinny enough to kind of slide up so he couldn't see me. But then he did see me. As soon as he see me, he said, damn, you know, those old-timers are so sensitive. And uh, said, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, said, you're going to die. And I said, you know what? You're right, I am gonna die. Because when I showed back up, I hadn't had a bath in a month. My hair was matted. I was dirty as I possibly could be. The one thing I'm grateful for in AA are those people who, even though I was in that condition, still helped me. Because there were some people that turned away from me because of the way that I looked. There were some people that wouldn't even touch my hand as I sat in a corner and talked to myself. But we gotta be real careful with those people because they could be your next speaker. They could be your next speaker. And I'm really grateful. I am so grateful that Bill and Bob weren't picky. I'm really grateful. And that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Because if I had to dress right and act right and do right when I got here, I wouldn't have stayed. I'd have been out the door. And these women took me under their wing because, see, what I did was I stayed at this clubhouse from the time it opened to the time it closed, never knowing where I was going to sleep. Never knowing when I was going to eat. But see, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, y'all, that I didn't want to live the way I was living. It wasn't even about dying for me. It was about not living the way that I was living. And you know what? I got sober, y'all. I got sober. My, My sponsor started taking me to conferences. And she put me in an institution meeting where I was there in jail, happy as I wanted to be, to be able to walk back out after an hour. I loved my institution meeting, and I still have that same institution meeting. And I just did what my sponsor said. Newcomer, when they suggest it, it's not really a suggestion. (laughs) It really isn't. When they say, I suggest, what they're really saying, you better. See, hear the tone? I suggest you better, same thing. Same thing. But whatever she told me to do, I did. Now, in my mind, I was cussing her out. But I did it. And I began working the steps. And we, we looked at my powerlessness. And on that third step, I'll never forget the night that she said, Pray with me. She said, pray with me. And we got on our knees, and she grabbed my hands. And she said to me, God, I offer myself to thee. To build with me and to do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help of thy power, Thy love and thy way of life. And she asked me because she hugged me. And when she put her arms around me, there was a connection that I hadn't quite felt with somebody in a long time. Is she my friend? Yes. Is she my friend first? No. She's my sponsor. And she lets me know that on a regular basis. And we did that third step. And then right there in that very room, she opened up the book. To how it works and she told me what to do she didn't say when I was ready do my fourth step she said I'll give you a week and a half <laughs> to have it done and it was the truth as I knew it right then and there it was the truth as I knew it and I didn't feel like some people say oh my god when I did my fifth step I felt so free and so that wasn't the case with me I was nauseated After I did mine. Because see what happened to me happened exactly as it says in the book. It says that you will have digested some chunks of truth about yourself. And what I realized that I walked around for years being resentful and angry at people who didn't do anything to me. I was angry and resentful because of what I perceived them to do to me which wasn't the truth. And, man, I learned that, and she started me on the the character defects and stuff and the list I I was afraid to do. Well, one, because I had stole all the meat out of my sister's deep freezer, and I had set up a meat stand, and um, and, and, and I knew that I was going to have to go and tell her that because I told her that her man did it, and she broke up with it. You see what I'm saying? So, I went from one to nine. I went to my sister's house. I didn't have that much time. Went to my sister's house and I said, it was I who stole your meat. (laughs) It was me. And I am sober now. Please forgive me. And after I got out the hospital, (laughs) <laughs> I went to my sponsor and told her I understood why I shouldn't move towards that until you, you say so. And, uh, and so I began to, uh, to make those amends, made the list and began to make those amends. And, and I'll tell you what, the fourth and the fifth step was cool for me, but the tenth step was the one that really, really kept my stuff in order because my sponsor is real big on the tenth step. The eleventh step, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, was when I became in conscious contact with a power greater than myself. That 12, I just keep doing it. When they call and say, can you come to Fort Wayne? Absolutely. Can you be there? You better believe it. Can you come to Cleveland? Absolutely. Can you go over here on this 12-step call? You better believe it. Because I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing that I could do in AA that would ever, ever be able to repay what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. Couldn't, I've been overly compensated in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I, I, um, in 1999, I got my GED. And um, thank you very much. I thank you very, very much. Um, I had a GED before that, but I had made it in prison. And um, <laughs> that's the ones that I was giving to my bosses when I first got sober. Um, and, and one day I was sitting at a meeting and a woman was talking about going to college. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I could go to college. And then the next thought was, not with that fake GED you came. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just my luck, you know, I'd be headed down with my PhD and they'll say, hey, her GED is fake. <laughs> you know? So I told my sponsor, my sponsor told me that I needed to tell my boss because the field that I was working in, I had to have a high school education to be able to work there, and I was working dishonestly. So I went to my boss and I said, "Roger, um, I don't have a GED." And he reached in his desk and pulled out my personnel file, and he said, "Sure, you do." And I said, "It's not real." And he said, "What?" So he started, you know, pull his glasses on, started. To, this thing looks real. I said, "I know. It's been extremely helpful to me in my recovery." Um, <laughs> And what he said to me was, I'll give you six months, and you need to have your GED. So what I did was, you know those commercials on TV where they say, you know, get your high school diploma on TV? Well, I ordered those books. And when they would send me the math, I would take the math. I would take the test. I would send the test in. I'd pass the test. They'd bring it back, give me history. i do that, so on and so on. On the last test that I passed, I went and signed up for the GED. And when I took the GED, I got a perfect score. And I'll tell you what, that might not be a lot to some people, but man, that was a lot to me. That was a lot to me. And when it came in the mail that day, man, I just grabbed it and fell back on my bed and I was like, I'm going to college. And I went over to the University of Cincinnati and I went into the admissions office and I said, I'm going to college. And they said, What you gonna do? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) But I know I'm going. And, uh, There was a woman there, and this is how my my journey has been in AA, that there's always been somebody right on time to help me when I needed the help. Always on time. She helped me fill out my paperwork, and I started going to school. And for three years, I've been on the Dean's List. And I'm in my last year, thank you. (laughs) I'm in my last year, and, 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 and I show up and I'm equally as excited today as I was the first day that I started. I remember when somebody asked me on campus where something was. I walked them all the way there. You know what I mean? Then I told them. I said, look, I got a book bag, too. You know, all I was missing was a Scooby-Doo lunchbox. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you, I've had a great time in Alcoholics Anonymous. Newcomers. Man, stick around. Stick around, and you'll, te- you'll be able to tell the people that's working the 12 steps and incorporating the 12 traditions in their life. Because there's a certain glow that takes place, which I feel is a presence of a power greater than. I love Alcoholics Anonymous, y'all. My daughter, I had two kids, gave them up for adoption. And I was telling Trina earlier that for the first time, um, A month ago, I was able to be with my daughter. And uh, it's her senior year. And I've been working on making it real special for her. And I'll tell you what, if I got what I deserved, man, I'd be lost. We hung out that day. And by the end of the day, man, she had her head on my shoulder. She was holding my hand, and she was saying, I'm proud of you that you don't do that anymore. I'm proud of you. She's at, in, in, um, she got accepted to Grambling, and so she's in Louisiana visited, and she called me, and she said, I like this college. I said, that's awesome, Whitney. That's awesome. And she said, I like the way you talk to me. You make me feel safe. Ain't nobody ever said that to me, nobody. She said, I'll be glad when I get back so I can see you. Do you understand that if I got what I deserved? Man, she wouldn't say anything to me if I got what I deserved. What a gift to be able to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because see, earth people don't have the gift that we have. We got a problem and we have a solution. Thank God. Back home, my grandmother, she used to sit in a rocking chair. And she would always rock and she would hum a song. And the words were, when I think about God and all he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah. So ladies and gentlemen, when I think about God and all he's done for me, My soul cries out. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening.